Hey, yo, welcome to Self-Made Dad, the chat room. This is the space where people can call in, talk about whatever. Uh, I got a list of topics for people that have DM'd me over the week, and I'm just going to give you mailbag thoughts. So if you have thoughts, if you have questions, let's talk about them. So just to start off, the first thing I wanted to hit on was masculinity and how it serves fatherhood. I left a comment on an account recently, and it was like something like, Toxic masculinity is most toxic to us as fathers. It has us work ourselves to death, miss dinners, uh, do all these things that end up taking us away from our responsibility of being a father. And I think that we need to look at how we define masculinity and it causes like, you know, people have comments and thoughts. I think that the traditional definition of masculinity where you have this like strong man, stoic, never says anything, crams his emotions down deeply, all that kind of stuff. I just don't think it serves you. Uh, it has us ignore things that are incredibly important, not only to our health and success, but our kids' development. And I'll give you an example from my life. You know, my dad never modeled emotions beyond anger, never once told me he was proud of anything. And it wasn't by design. It wasn't like he had this grand design where he was going to, he was going to be able to like motivate me to be the best basketball or football player ever by withholding approval. He just didn't know how to say, good job. Proud of you. Honestly, it took him until I was probably like mid twenties for him to say, I love you. And if you just think about that, right? Like that's an example of like traditional masculinity where it's like, Oh, I'm not going to say how I feel. What does that do to your kids? What does it do to your kids to not hear the words? I love you from one of their parents. Right. I, I know that I have friends and folks that have participated in the show that will say, well, I knew that they loved me. They took me out to eat. So I knew that they loved me. They would show up to things. And so I knew that they loved me. But for those of you who have jobs and sometimes want to have like a boss just give you a good review, you know that words matter. And so not hearing I love you from your father can have a serious impact on you. And so I talk all that talk because this was really top of mind. And I just started reading this book, Company by Shannon Sanders. I've only gotten through the first story, but it's been good so far. It's a fiction book written in a series of short stories, which are so it makes it easy to read. But the opening story, man, really hit me in the gut. It is a story about how good boys grow up to be good men. And in short, the father standing in what, you know, could be perceived as insecurity, could be perceived as like his masculinity and wanting to protect his woman, asked his sons to do something that implied that they would protect their mother when they were kids. Fast forward, they grow up and they are protecting their mother in different ways. It's really interesting. It's tragic in some ways, uh, and it's familiar in some ways to think about how we as men, when we're boys, have expectations, activities, and responsibilities put on us in certain ways that come from these ideals of masculinity and maybe put us in position to just continue repeating the cycle of these activities in ways that really aren't healthy. And so if you just go back to my like, I didn't, you know, never heard I love you from my father. It's very easy for me to go to, well, I don't need to say I love you to my kids. And then I ask you, listener or watcher, how would you feel not telling your kids that you love them? Did you tell your wife or your partner that you loved them at some point in your life? How would it feel if they never told it to you back? And these are little humans who are still developing their worldview and what they expect of the world and what's safe. So all of these little things I think are really important, right? Like just to think about how these constructs of masculinity affect how we parent, affect the behaviors that we model for our kids, and ultimately, do they help our kids become better 
versions of themselves and become independent and become capable of navigating the world in that is increasingly complex? Or do they anchor them to some outdated model of what's required of a man or even what was never actually required of a man, but created as a function of a patriarchal oppressive society that held down women, held down minorities that look like me, all in the service of a privilege that we don't even really have, nor sh in a lot of ways didn't deserve, right? I, I, I had this conversation with a friend. They were, they were challenging me on like masculinity. They were like, well, I don't know what kind of man you think you are and what you're teaching, but like, I think a man should be this. A man should be the leader. A man should be in charge. Manage his emotions and like not sit in how he feels. A man should, a man should. My question to him was like, hey man, I, I hear you on all these things that a man should, but like, it doesn't sound like any of that is a man has to earn. Where in this do you expect a man to develop himself into the person worthy of leading, worthy of being in charge, worthy of all of these things that you say a man should be? Because I think that there's a difference in mindset when you approach it from we are men, therefore we are these things, which is an entitled perspective. And men are expected to be this and the world needs me specifically to be this. Therefore, I am going to develop myself to earn that position, right? I have been in charge of a business. I have been in charge of departments. Those things weren't given to me just because I was there. Just because I had some cool resume didn't automatically mean I was given these things. I had to earn them. And I had to put myself in position to develop my skills in such a way that made me uniquely qualified to do the thing. And a lot of us guys forget that that's a core component of what is required for us to do the things that you say as a man we should be doing. So I would just challenge y'all to look in the mirror and evaluate some of these concepts and really explore, are they coming from a place of entitlement? I am a man, therefore I should have these things and reframe them as like, what am I doing to earn the opportunity or right to do these things. I think it'll really shift your perspective. In in another way, right? I had a I had another father ask me one time. He was like, you know, do you see yourself as your your child's hero? And I was like, yeah. And they asked me, what have you been doing lately to deserve to be seen as heroic in your child's eyes? And that question cuts at the core of what I'm getting at. Because I know that you fathers out there can relate to the question of, oh man, maybe I haven't been doing anything that deserves to be seen as heroic in my kid's eyes, right? They're holding you on this pedestal just because you exist. But in reality, you maybe haven't been doing things that could be seen as heroic. And so as a derivative of that, you might say to yourself, maybe I'll build a fort with them this weekend. Maybe I'll teach them how to fish. Maybe I'll have a dance party with them this weekend. Whatever the thing is that's seen as heroic, you start considering what you need to do to earn that title. And so just apply that thinking to manhood because fatherhood sits on top of manhood to a certain extent. So if you can get your mind around earning and constantly working on yourself and demonstrating and developing competency in the things that you feel like you should be doing as a man, then that will work its way up to your fatherhood. Right. That's what I'm encouraging folks to consider and evaluate here. And, and frankly, that's what self-made dad is for, is for looking at concepts that we maybe hold as uh, standard or we hold as uh, unassailable and really ask, like, are they unassailable? 
are they questions that are they things that we should just assume are fixed or should we readjust them? Here's another example. One of the recent reels I shared was about how parents aren't perfect. And I was having a conversation with a child therapist friend of mine, Dr. Duncan, and I asked her, I was like, when, like, when should you consider putting your child in therapy? And her response to me was a lot of parents resist putting their kids in therapy because they think if your kid is in therapy, you've done something wrong or done something to them as a parent. And I think for those of you out there who have experienced therapy for yourself individually, you recognize that like, you don't always need to be in distress to go to therapy. So if you don't need to be in distress to go to therapy as an adult, then you probably don't need to be distressed as a kid. However, the reality is we're going to mess stuff up as parents. We're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. We're going to miss an opportunity to compliment our kid on something they feel very proud about. We're going to react from a place of frustration or stress or tiredness. Uh, There are a lot of different ways that we can manifest things that don't go the way we want for our kids and hurt their feelings or, you know, in some ways traumatize them. It's going to happen. And accepting that we are human and to take it a step further, even be willing to apologize to your kids when you realize you've done something wrong is allowing yourself to be human. However, I know that the concept of apologizing to your kids can sound triggering to some of y'all because I know there are a few of y'all out there that are thinking, man, I don't need to apologize to my kids. I don't like, what do I need to say sorry for? I'm the parent. Whether I said it or not, and it was right or wrong, I said it. That's what should happen. We have this, uh, this joke with my father-in-law where he'll be saying things and it'll be clearly wrong. And then he'll be like, what I say? And then we'll say what he said. And he'll be like, well, that's what it is. And he does it in jest as a joking way. But I know there are a few of y'all out there that'll be talking to your kids and say, because I said so, right? Why should we do this, mama or papa? Because I said so. Why did you say it that way? Because I said that. And that can be held with people as a expectation of parenting, right? Like it is just the standard that the parent is always right. The kid doesn't know they need to listen. But in in the construct of self-made dad, I would question, and I do question, is that a useful concept, a useful and productive ideal for you to hold on to? Brian's answer, it's not. Because here's the other side of what you're doing, right? Let's say that you are that fixed, that rigid, that hard about holding on to uh, something that you said to your kid as like, that is unassailably correct. Don't question me. What are you teaching that kid? You're teaching that kid a stubborn amount of confidence, even in the face of unassailable contradiction. Let me say that more simply. You might be clearly wrong, but you're teaching the kid to stay convicted that they are right, even if it's very obvious they're wrong. You think that's a productive life skill for them to have? I don't think so. You're also teaching them that they should never expect somebody to apologize to them when they're wrong or they've hurt them, right? So all of their loved ones should now not apologize to them. That is an expectation that they have now because you have demonstrated that. You also taught them that it is unrealistic and not a part of adulthood to self-reflect and maybe correct a perspective that maybe is incorrect, to evolve your thinking. Hey, maybe I thought it this way now, but then I read this, got exposed to this, whatever, and now I have a different perspective, right? You were teaching them that that is not okay. That's not a part of being an adult. What I said goes. That is, that it is, it is true. So when you really break it down, these are unproductive ideals and attitudes. And there are a lot of those in parenting, frankly. And, you know, we can talk about where they come from, right? Like I, I know that listen to what I say, or let me say it differently, that do as I say, not as I do mentality to a certain extent comes from uh, like a desire to keep order, right? Look, I mean, I got two kids. They have a lot of energy. 
I don't have as much energy as they do. And so sometimes I'm just tired. I just want them to chill out, do what I ask them to do. So I have to fuss at them 15 times. I did it this morning. My daughter wouldn't eat her eggs and she was lollygagging. And I was just like, listen, child, can you please just eat these eggs so you can get some protein? You were constantly complaining about, you know, wanting to be stronger, but then you don't do the work that is required to get stronger. Just eat the eggs. And it was frustrating. I like, we just want her to comply. So I get it. Like just from a basic day-to-day perspective, you just like want there to be some peace and order. If you also want to take it a step further, especially those of us who grew up as American black people, you, your parents might have experienced some severe oppression growing up and your grandparents definitely did, right? Like I know my dad was born in 1942. That means that he came of age and went through the school system both before and after desegregation. Think about what your life might look like if you experienced that as a black man in a place like Texas, in a rural place in Texas. It's not a light switch that there was racism and now there's not. So you might internalize some of that oppression and want to take it out on your kids. You may also have experienced that and then think that if I don't teach my kids or train them to behave in these ways, they may be exposed to danger out in the world because that's just what I've learned viscerally. It's it's relatable. It's easy to understand that when you look at your parents as human and then see what they experienced and how that translated to how they're parenting you. And then you could easily translate that to how you parent your kids. I think the best of us in anything that we're doing, whether it's professional work or these kind of introspective personal activities, it's worth reflecting and and just pausing for a second and asking yourself, is this, where is this coming from? Like, is this a useful mentality to have? If I tell this kid to do as I say and not as I do, is that like going to help? Like, is that really useful in the long term? If I don't apologize to this kid, is that a good example to set, right? Those are the questions I ask myself a lot. And, you know, I don't get it all right, but I try to get it more right than wrong. And when I get it wrong, I try to address it, right? Same is true of my business leadership. That's how I run my businesses. I'm like, look, this is this is what I've decided. This is why I think it makes sense. Let's keep rolling. And then if I make a mistake, I'll be like, look, like I've now it's come to light that uh, here's some information. So, you know what? You're right on this. Like, let's adjust course and move forward, right? It's helpful, but you got to be willing to be human to make good decisions because that requires you to admit fault. And I think therein lies the challenge, right? A lot of you men, a lot of you dads don't like to admit fault. And listen, I could pull on this thread and tie it back to my masculinity point earlier, where a lot of a lot of commonly accepted conceptions of masculinity mean that you don't admit fault. We've had a recent president who is on the record as saying like he never admits fault. That is a component of that manhood, of that masculinity. Whether or not you think it's useful, that's up to you. I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's useful. I think it's ridiculous. So anyway, you have to be willing to admit fault because parents aren't perfect. We're human. Uh, Some other things that came up in the DMs and the chat. One person hit me up and said, hey, I'm going through divorce and I'm trying to stay positive around my kids, but I feel like I'm angry at them all the time. Now, look, like I don't wish divorce on anybody. It is traumatic in a lot of ways, right? And and you can go through all the cycles of grief with that because a huge component of your identity is coming to an end. And depending on who's doing the divorcing, like it could be because of you, you may have decided to end that, or it might be happening to you, right? And uh, then you have to like both catch up to the fact that it's happening and then process the grief and loss of the identity. So there's a lot going on there, right? Like, and, and I want to acknowledge that, like, it's not an easy thing. My, my parents divorced when I was five. I have a very clear memory of being in the I guess a custody court or whatever in in Texas. And the judge asking me which parent I would rather spend 
time with. And obviously at the time, like all I knew from my dad was violence through whoopings and anger and disappointment. And the, those are the only emotions I felt from him. And I was like, I want, I want to be with my mom. So I stayed with my mom. Man, you want to talk about a complicated question to ask your kid or to ask any kid at that time. That's a tough one, right? Choose between your parents. A kid wants to do that. So I can understand the complexity of divorce, both as an individual and on the kids. And it's tough, man. For those of you who may be going through a separation like that, you know, especially if on, let's, I'll speak to the fathers, right? Like fathers, like if you're going through that, regardless of who initiated it, I would say you have two main responsibilities. Okay. Three main responsibilities. Responsibility number one, keep it tight around the kids, right? You are a grown man. Acting out is not useful. Being disrespectful or petty is not useful. Trying to talk to your kids and say little snide comments about their mother or get intel about her or see if you can get them on your side is not useful. What is useful is keeping a consistent attitude with them, being real about if you're feeling hurt or sad and instilling in them the confidence that regardless of how this plays out, you're still going to be their father. You're going to be present in their life. That's what's useful as a father going through a separation or divorce. Like the kids just want to feel like, you know what, my, their world may feel like it's coming apart, but dad will still be here. I will be a part of your life. I still love you more than anything in the world. That is your job. All the other negativity and stuff, you need to put that away because frankly, it's childish. It's not a good use of your time. The second responsibility is to navigating the separation in a healthy and productive way. So that means responding to document requests or whatever trying to be as rational as possible when negotiating separation of assets or whatever, not being violent towards the person. I mean, I know one person, they've had that as a part of the separation experience. Not a good look. It's just not a good look. It's actually like a bad thing for a man to do. You know, like, just be cool, man. Like, look, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hurt. Feelings are going to be hurt on both sides. And for those of you that think masculinity and like staying in your feelings is not productive. I'm going to tell you, if you don't deal with the feelings, you'll go through a process like this of separating from your partner. And then your feelings will have you act in a fool. You know, you'll be leaving little weird notes. You'll, you'll refuse to meet a lawyer or the, the person in court or whatever. You'll start acting a fool. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not a good look. Handle the separation productively and responsibly and healthy. And then the last responsibility that you have is to yourself. Take care of you. Listen, ma'am, if you're going through a divorce, you're hurting. There's nobody, even if you initiated a divorce, there's nobody I know that's initiated a divorce and has not been hurting. Even if like by the time they get to the divorce, they have like grieved and processed all that stuff. You're still hurting. Like I've seen it a few times now. Give yourself some space for that. Go to therapy, work out, talk to your friends, be connected. Don't be isolated. Take care of you because you got to stay with you for the rest of your life. So, you know, if you don't like being with you, I'm going to tell you, nobody else is going to like being with you. And if you want to find partnership in the future, you got to like take care of your stuff. So find opportunities and ways to process this stuff, man. Go to therapy, talk to some people, call in here. Like I'll, I'll talk to you about it, whatever, man. And, and so like I say all that to say for the mother that shared this specific situation, I would just like, hopefully some of that resonates uh, because you have the added pressure of being a woman and in society, women are expected to absorb a lot of stuff they including like taking on the responsibility of watching the kids right uh, you're probably going to get a lot of blame for the divorce because 90 percent, i think something like 90 percent of divorces are initiated by women we can talk about how that leads up to that right because like a woman in an abusive relationship if she decides to initiate a divorce like that's probably okay <laughs> like people like to say women quit the divorce quit the relationship so whatever 
but you're going to have all these things put on you. And so hopefully this framework helps you as well. And like that last point, I would say you got a responsibility to take care of yourself too, because what you want is to come out of this. And even if you and your ex are nowhere on the same page, can't even really look at each other. Those kids will feel whatever is going on. I will speak for myself. Like I knew how tense it was. I knew how tense it was between my mom and my dad. And over, and my mom was always the bigger person. She taught me how to be the bigger person because she would call my dad and tell him to show up to stuff or ask him to put in for stuff that she's spending money off of me. Man, like when I graduated college from Warehouse, uh, she called him and was like, listen, man, our only son is graduating college. He got a scholarship, paid for it himself. You need to show up to this. I will pick you up. I will drive you there. I will get you your own hotel room. All you got to do is show up. So she was a bigger person. And guess what? He ain't show up. So my point is, kids feel that shit. I felt that shit. I've talked about it on here before, where it's like, man, I didn't talk to my dad for a few years after that. So if you can get on the same page and be present and support your kids through it after this, that's the win. And you can handle your individual lives after that. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough and a rough one. And, uh, and I pray over you on that. What else can we talk about here? Oh, one cat was like, messaged me today and was like, man, I want to leave some comments and join, but we just had this pregnancy scare and I'm still processing that. So first of all, I want to say to you, brother, good on you for saying that you need to process that. This is the kind of like, be aware of your emotions stuff that I'm talking about. If you need some time, take the time. Cause that's scary, man. We, uh, we lost our first pregnancy. We lost our first pregnancy and I thought I was cool, man. I really did. I thought I was cool. I wasn't. And I, there were two things. Well, there's really one thing that happened that I realized that, you know, I, I went to tell my boss who I was close with that we just lost a kid and I was probably going to need to go home early to support my wife. He was totally cool with it. But while I was telling him, I felt myself like struggling to hold back tears. You know, I didn't fully appreciate how much this was impacting me. And I wasn't even doing the work of carrying the baby. And then, uh, you know, after I got home and talked to my wife and we processed it, she left for something on the weekend, like went to go work out or do something just to give herself some space. And I cried so hard. I couldn't stop it. It just like happened. The grief came pouring out of me and I was struggling. I was just so sad and distraught. And I felt like maybe it was my karma that did something and lost this pregnancy. And I didn't know, like, I, I just, I just couldn't hold back the feelings. And I just, and you know, I made a decision also in that moment. I was like, I'm gonna let it out. Cause a, I was alone. So as a man, I was like, I can, I feel safe crying here by myself. But B, I needed to get it out. It was a clearly coming out. And so, you know, these things happen. And I'm, and I'm glad and thankful for this brother that the pregnancy is good. But I also relate to and understand just how frightening that experience is. So I continue to pray for you, man. That's, that's real life. Another brother that messaged me this week and we were talking about this was he suddenly lost a parent this week. And uh, for those of you that have been following the show for a little while, you know that I lost my father unexpectedly last year. And it was kind of, it was rough, man. I'll, I'll tell you just a little bit more about it. My, uh, my father and I usually talked on the weekends. I usually had like a call, like I, I would, uh, make a call for to him on the weekends and like he would call and I call and then we just rap for a little bit. And I found out we were having a boy like that Wednesday. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to talk to my dad this weekend and it's going to be great. Tell him we're having a boy. And I couldn't get him on the phone. I had to, uh, like try to like get people to go to his house. Nobody could get him to come to the door. And I ultimately had to send the cops to the house and do a wellness check. And they broke in and found him. And it was, it was traumatizing. So I feel you on losing your parent, man. It's, it's not easy. And there's a lot of grief to unpack with that. 